Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, again, good morning, everyone. Uh, as we uh, continue this week in a series that we started last Sunday at the, the turn of the new year, um, we're focusing in this epiphany season about Jesus revealing uh, kind of His identity and His mission and, and what that means for, for us in our lives and, and, and the comfort that brings and also the, the invitation and the calling that that means for our, our day and, and our lives. And really, the season of Epiphany is all about God revealing who He is uh, to the world, uh, not just to a select group of people, but to all people, uh, you and me, and, and all people being shown through Jesus Christ who God really is. And so, over these next handful of weeks, we'll be going through the Gospel of Matthew seeing Jesus reveal different aspects of who He is and what He's about and, and His mission in this world. Now, as we look today at, at the story of Jesus' baptism, uh, one of the things that, that comes up in this story is, is expectations that are, that are unmet or, or somehow, you know, expectations that, that are way different uh, than you'd imagine. Um, and it got me thinking about times in my life, and maybe you have times in your life, when you have expectations for something and, and it doesn't meet your expectations. Or, or maybe it's just different and you're like, oh, that was surprising. I didn't expect that. Um, whatever it may be for you, and you could probably think of a whole bunch of things that, that either uh, just different expectations or you didn't meet your expectations. The thing that came to my mind was, was the TV show on Netflix, uh, Nailed It. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you are Nailed It fans on Netflix. If not, just take some time if you have Netflix, watch a, an episode or two of it, because uh, it, is, it is pure comedic uh, fun. Uh, so what the premise of the show is, if you're not aware, is the, the show takes these, these home bakers, I use that word in quotations, because they call themselves bakers, but, but usually people who bake use things like measurements and like actually take into account how much goes into a recipe. These people that they get are just like, hey, let's just throw stuff together, just kind of eyeball it, and maybe for some cooking that works, but if you've ever baked anything, most of the time that doesn't work. So they do this under the a time clock, and they have to replicate these intricate cakes and cupcakes and all of these beautiful things, and they have like 30 minutes to do it. And so by the end of it, they like unveil their creation, and they're like, nailed it. Like, that's what they got to say every time. Nailed it, and uh, they don't ever nail it, just so you know. <laughs> like, it, it does not look a lot like the, the thing they were supposed to make, and it's the expectation of like, oh, it's supposed to look like this, but it falls way short. It's just unmet. It's different. Um, and in a way, um, that's what John is wrestling with in our reading um, not necessarily with baking a cake, but, but he's wrestling with these expectations of, of what the Messiah was going to be like. Because John, as we heard in our reading, he's doing his John the Baptist thing. He's baptizing people. And then he sees Jesus walking up. And John knows uh, that Jesus is the, si the Savior, the Messiah. And yet Jesus does this strange thing where he tells John, all right, you need to baptize me now. And if you caught it, John's reaction is like, whoa, 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 Jesus. You've got this backwards. You're the one that's supposed to baptize me. Like, you're the sinless son of God, savior of the world. I'm John. 
You've got a lot more in your title than I do. I'm just John. You need to baptize me. But Jesus says, no. You baptize me. And it's a strange thing. And this is a story that maybe you've heard if you've grown up in church, but I think a lot of times we just skip right past it pretty quickly. We're like, all right, Jesus got baptized. All right, let's move on to the, the new stuff, the, the stuff that comes after, because Matthew chapter 4 gets into some really cool stuff, like Satan shows up and he tempts Jesus in the wilderness. That's coming next week. But we jump right to that because it's like that's the good stuff. That's the fun stuff. But this whole Jesus being baptized, it's really not that important. Let's just go right on by. But I would invite you to see that in this moment, in Jesus being baptized, we have some great words of comfort and hope for us. It invites us to ask questions. But as we ask these questions, we see who Jesus is. And we see his heart for us and for all people. So maybe the first question that you think of is, why was John so surprised at Jesus being baptized? That's kind of a common question. There's a lot, of, a lot of ink that has been spilt, a lot of dissertations that have been written around that question. Like, why was John surprised? And, and in a sense, you could really boil it down to this. Like, if you read just before our reading what John was preaching in the wilderness in Matthew 3, verse 11 through 12. This is kind of John's message. He's saying this kind of to the crowds. He's saying, hey, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. In other words, he's like, hey, I'm just kind of the, the, the pre-show. I'm the, the, the appetizer, but I'm getting you ready for the guy who's coming after me, the Savior of the world, and he's mightier than, than me and anybody else. His sandals I am not worthy to carry. He's like, that's how much greater this coming Savior is. And when he comes, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I don't know how many people were like, yes, let me get baptized with fire. Uh, And then he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is not exactly the preaching that wins friends and influences people, just so you know. But John was like, this is what the Savior's going to do. When he shows up, he's going to make things right. And a part of making things right from God's perspective is, is bringing his righteous justice and judgment against the evils of this world. And, and John is like you and me. He looked around at the world around him and was like, there's a whole lot of evil in this world. And God says that he's going to make things right, which means punishing evil. And so John is like having this in the back of his mind of like, this is what the Savior is going to do. When he shows up, he's going to come and he's going to clear the floor. He's going to cut evil down to size. And then Jesus walks towards him, not really carrying a winnowing fork or anything, just probably walking. And then he says, hey, John, you need to baptize me now. And this defies all of John's expectations. This is the Savior 
This is the Messiah come to make things right. He's not supposed to be baptized. He's the one to do the baptizing. But here he is, submitting himself, meek and mild and lowly. And John is surprised by this. He's caught off guard by this. And I, side note, I invite you, when you feel like John in life, and God doesn't meet your expectations for whatever it is, which, I don't know about you, happens a lot. Maybe it doesn't meet your expectations in a certain area of your life, answering a prayer in the way that you would like, removing something that's difficult or hard in your life, and, and, and he doesn't meet your expectations. I want to invite you um, to not think of that as as a problem or a negative thing. Because I think oftentimes we can think that that's a problem, it's a negative thing. But I think actually it's a sign of God's love and presence in our lives. And it's actually an assurance that God is doing something quite beautiful in our lives, even if we can't see it yet. Because that's what's happening with, with Jesus being baptized. It was confusing, it didn't meet expectations, but God was doing something beautiful and amazing that was way better than John could have ever expected. And so, so what is it that, that by Jesus being baptized, the, the question is, what does it teach us about Jesus and his ministry fundamentally? Like, why is it so important? And, and if you look around at church history, the baptism of Jesus is a central part of his life. When people talk about the life of Jesus and, and the church throughout the years has always kind of held it in this high place of of honor, why is it so important? And it's important because of what Jesus says his purpose is in being baptized, is he tells John that he needs to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. That this is Jesus' focus and why he is baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, It reminds me of a show that, that used to be on the air. I think there's maybe a different version of it or something, um, but Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. You guys ever see that show or heard of it? Yeah, so Mike Rowe would go around all these different professions and, and kind of interview them or kind of highlight them, and, and most of the time they were dirty, <laughs> quite literally, right? They did things that were dirty, that got your hands uh, messed up, or they were just simply jobs that most people would be like, I'm never going to do that, <laughs> That's too hard, that's too nasty, that's too disgusting, whatever it may be. He kind of highlighted these jobs to be like, hey, these are people that are doing jobs that that nobody else will do, and kind of giving them exposure, giving them awareness. When I think about Jesus and his statement that he has come to fulfill all righteousness, I think another way of thinking about it is this. Jesus' mission was to get his hands dirty. Jesus came to do the thing that nobody else wanted to do, that nobody else is willing to do, that nobody else is able to do. See, Jesus got his hands dirty, and and you could think about his baptism and really his ministry focusing on these two things, that Jesus came to draw near to sinners, and he came to take the place of sinners. See, that's what Jesus' mission is all about and what his baptism paints the picture of and gives us this clue of that Jesus first came to, to draw near to sinners. 
You want to know the thing that was the most divisive thing in Jesus' ministry? He had dinner with the wrong people. Like, that was the thing that got everybody either really excited or really angry, is who he ate dinner with. See, because he ate dinner, as, as the, the Gospels tell us, he, he had dinner with, he made friends with sinners. And, and that was his ministry, was crossing the line and, and having association with and having kind of fellowship with people who were deemed sinners. And, and really his baptism is him beginning that message of like, hey, I've come to be baptized just like all y'all sinners need to be baptized. Jesus is like, I'm going to submit myself and do the same thing to draw near to you. Now that statement was divisive because you either react in one of two ways when you hear that Jesus came to draw near to sinners. One reaction is like anger and frustration or contempt. And that was kind of the religious leaders of that day getting angry at Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, you're with the wrong people. You say you're the Savior of the world. You say that you're the Son of God. You're with the wrong people, Jesus. You're with the people who don't know anything, who have done all the bad things, who, who they're the people we're not to associate with. And they would get angry at Jesus. They would be filled with contempt toward Jesus because he was hanging out with the wrong people. He was supposed to be with the good people, with the people who know God, with the people who are doing the right things, with the religious people, and yet Jesus wasn't. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. Maybe you think about that statement of Jesus hangs out with sinners, and there's a part of you that's like, yeah, but not those sinners. Yeah, he came to be with sinners, but, but not the real sinners. And I want to encourage you to realize that, that Jesus came for all of us. That, that he doesn't look at us and say, like, well, here's the sinners and here's the real sinners. No, friends, we're all the real sinners. You and me. And so Jesus came to be with us. But, but if you recognize that already and you know, like, man, I am broken, I am messed up, when you hear that Jesus came to draw near to sinners, you know what you feel? You feel relieved. Because somebody sees you. Somebody notices you. That God himself says, I've come to be with you. The messed up, the people who can't figure out their life, who continually struggle, who don't have it all together, who don't say the right things, who have a lot of doubts and questions, Jesus says, I've come to have dinner with you. I've come to draw near to you. But, but not only do we see in the baptism of Jesus that he came to draw near to sinners, he came to take the place of sinners. He came to take their place. One of the things that you may know is God had expectations for his people. God still has expectations for his people. The Old Testament, God would tell his people, you are to be my holy people. We actually sang about it, the priesthood language that, that God said, you are my people, so you are to be different than the whole world around you. You're to look different, you're to smell different, you're to talk different, you're to eat different. <laughs> All the things, you're supposed to be different. The, the, the Bible word for that is you are to be holy. 
You're to be set apart so that when people look at you, they notice something different about you. And then God said, you are to be a light to the surrounding nations, a light that helps them see me and who I am and what I've done for you. And that's your calling. That's what you're to do. That's your purpose. And if you've read the Old Testament for more than like a page, what you realize is they do a terrible job. They are the worst people. They don't set themselves apart, but rather they blend in with the world around them. They don't shine a light to point to God and who He is, but rather they focus on themselves. They don't meet God's expectations. And, and here's the thing, by and large, nothing's changed with God's people. Because you and I have this same calling. We as people who follow Jesus, we have the same calling to be holy. In other words, to be set apart, to let our actions and words and our priorities stand out to the world around us so that people look at us and are like, man, something's different about you. You value different things than, than just everybody else. You treat people different than everybody else. You say things that are, that are different than everybody else. And, and why is that? And then we're to point others like a light to the world to who God is. That's our purpose. That's your purpose. And so let's just be honest with a really difficult question. How are you doing? How are you doing not just blending in with the world around us, how are you doing with letting your words and your actions point others to who God is? Well, if you're anything like me, we're, we're a lot like the people of the Old Testament. We, we just fail. We struggle. We want to do it, but we fall short time and time again. But here's what's so amazing about the baptism of Jesus is that Jesus comes not just to be with sinners, but to take our place. Because Jesus being baptized was the beginning of the rest of his ministry, which was filled with him taking the place of unfaithful people. Of him, the faithful one, putting himself in the place of unfaithful people. And and beginning this thing that, that theologians call the great exchange, that, that by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, not only are you forgiven, which if that wasn't enough, which is amazing, God in Jesus Christ takes, takes his perfection, his faithfulness, and gives it to you and puts it on you. So that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see all of our unfaithfulness, all the times that we just blend in. No, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, and his perfection, his faithfulness, his ability to, to do what God asks him to do. And God now looks at you and treats you like you live like Jesus. That's what Jesus has done for you. He has taken your place. He's taken your sin, but he's given you so much more. He's giving you his righteousness, his perfection. He's given it to you to wear, to hold, to cherish. You know, the story reminds me of, of this on a smaller scale. 
Um, back in the 30s, um, Fiorella LaGuardia uh, was mayor of New York City. And uh, LaGuardia uh, was also an attorney by trade. And one night in about 1935, he, he went to night court and, and he kind of kicked the judge out. He's like, all right, I'm going to take the bench and I'll start hearing the cases that night. And one of the cases was a, a woman who was accused of, of stealing bread to feed her family. And they had the, like the bakery owner, they had some of the community members there who were bringing this charge before uh, LaGuardia, and, and it was pretty cut and dry, like she had committed the crime. And they were saying, listen, we're sorry for her, we feel bad for her, but, but there's a crime that's committed, there's a punishment that needs to be given out. And so LaGuardia kind of looks at the woman and says, okay, here's a choice. Um, you can either pay $10 fine, which in 1935, a lot of money, especially to a woman who had nothing, pay a $10 fine or 10 days in jail. And as he's saying this, he reaches into his pocket, brings out a $10 bill, and hands it to the bailer and says, and there's the $10. It's clean. But then he goes one step further. And he looks at everybody else in the courtroom and says, okay, everyone here tonight is fined 50 cents for living in a, in a community where we allow this to take place, where a woman needs to feel like she needs to, to resort to stealing simply to feed her family. And so the bailer then went around and collected 50 cents from everybody in the courtroom that night, and then, then they handed the money to this woman. And so she walked out of the courtroom, not only forgiven, not only wiped clean of the crime, but also with about $47 in her pocket, which again, 1935 is probably worth about 900 or so dollars today. And I think about that story, and that's a crazy story. <laughs> but that in a small way, is our story about Jesus looking at you and knowing that you and I are condemned, we are guilty, we are unfaithful, we fall short. But he comes and he says, I've taken care of it. But even more than that, he gives you all of his life, all of his work, all of his perfection, so now you get to walk out with his blessings, with more than what you came in with. You get to hold it and cherish it and know that that, that is what Jesus' purpose was to do. And that's what you cling to. That's what we cling to, is that that's who Jesus was. That's what Jesus came to do. And, and so one, one more question, though. What do we do with this now in our own lives? This is a question a lot of people ask when they read the Bible. Like, what do I do to apply this in my life? And really, the application, I think, is really simple. It's really simple. We confess and we follow Jesus. Like, when you look at this and you look at Jesus and his whole purpose was to draw near to sinners like you and me and to take the place of broken, unfaithful people like you and me, I think the response we have is we confess and we follow Jesus. We confess about our sins. Like, not in just the way where we're like, yes, nobody's perfect, I'm not perfect, but actually, like, we dig down and we say, God, 
I am broken in this way. And we're honest with ourselves about it. We're honest with God about it. Like, I'm not saying post all of your darkest sins on Facebook, not shout it around everyone. I'm not saying that. But be honest with yourself about it. Be honest with your God about it. And as we say every single Sunday, if we say we're without sin, if we say, like, nobody's perfect, but we don't actually drill down, we're fooling ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God is what? He's faithful and just to smite us with judgment. No. To forgive us and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So, we are free to confess our brokenness and admit, I am a sinner. Because guess what? Jesus came to hang out with sinners. And he came to take the place of sinners. And so we confess. But then secondly, we follow him. We every day say to ourselves, how can I follow him more and more today? How can I wake up today and and admit my sinfulness, but try and put that to death? Try and turn away from that and follow him because I know he's good. How can I let his priorities be my priorities? How can I let his way be my way? And it's every day waking up and saying, I will follow him because he is good and he loves me and he's done all of this for me. That is what we do. Friends, may you as you look at the baptism of Jesus, even though there's questions, it seems mundane, may you see in it the beauty of God's love for you. That he stands with sinners. He stands with you. And he takes the place of sinners. He's taken your place. Go live in that love, forgiveness, and freedom. Amen.